Hello and uh, welcome. Thank you for joining Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. Uh, we welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Say, send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV and we'll do our best to answer them. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, must read. He's a regular contributor to ZDNet, Harvard Business Review, and he's on uh, national media every day, all day. And in my humble opinion, he's one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot for the awesome co-host, Vala Afshar. He is one of the top people to follow. CEOs, CIOs, and CMOs follow him all around the world on Twitter. Awesome reach, awesome follow. But if you ever want to hear about something good, something in the future, Vala is the person to talk to. He's also an author himself, keynoter, and on business TV. Uh, but more importantly, it's not about us. It's about the guests. It's about you. It's about what we learn. Who do we have today, Vala? Someone that's come back, I think. Yeah, come back. Uh, it's, it's an honor to have Nick Meadows, CEO of Gainsight. Gainsight is a customer success company that helps businesses improve customer retention, accelerate expansion, and capitalize on customer advocacy. Under Nick's leadership, Gainsight has built an award-winning company culture that's frequently recognized on numerous lists, great places to work uh, in Inc., Fortune, Glassdoor, Silicon Valley, Business Journal, and much more. He's the co he's the author, co-author of The Customer Success Economy, Why Every Aspect of Your Business Model Needs a Paradigm Shift. We're going to deep, deep dive into, the, into Nick's new book. Nick has been named one of the top SaaS CEOs by Software Report three years in a row, one of the top CEOs uh, uh, by Comparability, and a finalist for uh, Ernest Young's Entrepreneur of the Year. And he holds the highest Glassdoor approval rating for CEOs. His mom believes he's the number one CEO in the world, and that's what really matters. <laughs> Nick, Nick, Nick was on our show four years ago in two days. He was on our show July 8, 2016. For us, that was only episode 23, and today wow. we're on episode 198. So it was amazing to have Nick as one of our early amazing guests. You can follow Nick and his incredible work and his company on Twitter at N-R-M-E-H-T-A. Welcome back, Nick, to uh, Disrupt TV. Thank you so much, Val and Ray. It's so great to be here. I love your guys' show. I love your energy. I follow both of you online. Excited to have a discussion. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, no. Hey, it's awesome having you here. But first, we got to get through the more important thing. Let's talk about your hometown and really what you represent. I grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania. But hey, I actually rooted for the same team. Talk a little bit what's going on. What was it like growing Boo. up as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan? <laughs> <laughs> before Lynn Swan, before Franco Harris, before Terry Bradshaw. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. That was, yeah, that was, uh, that might have been a different generation of Nick Meta. But uh, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh, if you don't, haven't been there, is a city that actually the most a uh, well-known uh, story about what Pittsburgh's like is landing in the Pittsburgh airport, which you've done, I'm sure, Ray, many times. You go down the escalator. There's two statues next to the escalator. One of them is of, of Franco Harris, a famous dealer from the 70s, cap catching the Immaculate Reception. The other one is George Washington crossing the Potomac. And the famous story for all Pittsburghers talking to each other as they go through the airport is, how did George Washington get a statue? Uh, because that's how <laughs> so that's there are not many things about Pittsburgh, but that's one of them. That's awesome. That's, uh, before, we, that's before, awesome. before we go to the rest of the questions, uh, you know, you wrote the book Customer Success, and the new book is now Customer Success Economy. You're gracious enough to give your book for free for our audience watching. So for those of you watching, if you go to gainsight.com slash disrupt TV, you can actually get Nick's new book for free. So thank you very much for educating our audience. Uh, we, we greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, so, and, and it's you know great book. You're one of the foremost authorities in terms of customer success and retention and building advocacy and loyalty. So let's talk about customer success and, and why is it more important today given this seismic uh, once in a lifetime um, you know, uh, impact of the pandemic and what we're going through and why businesses really need to think about uh, achieving relevance by adding value, by creating value and earning trust and ultimately doing uh, the right thing for their customers. 
Yeah, it's so it's so well said because as you know, Val, that there's been this trend over the last 10, 15, 20 years, and you've been a part of it with your companies and racing it, where in business customers are getting more power than ever. And that's happened way before COVID, right? That's because of SaaS, that's because of cloud, that's because of the transparency of information online. Customers have power now. That's happened in a consumer life, happened in the business world. And what COVID is would just, like with a lot of things with COVID, it just it turbocharged all of that and catapulted in the future. Because every company now is thinking, wow, a lot of my revenue is based on my existing customers. And whether they stay with me, whether they renew with me, particularly if you have a subscription business model. And honestly, subscription and recurring revenue is how companies are getting through this crisis. So many, many CEOs have kind of almost had a wake up call with COVID that I be better pay attention to my existing customers because they keep me in business. And you guys know all about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, and it's a big shift. We're even seeing it in what's happening in terms of the power that the individual is having uh, across the world around in politics as well. But yes. let's take this a few years back. I mean, you yeah. basically created and evangelized a role from scratch, right? There was no customer success manager. There was no customer success organization. I remember sitting at a hotel in San Francisco with you like bringing together an entire community from scratch. So let's right. talk a little bit about that community and what they are doing, like what's going on right now. Yeah, totally. So that just to, for people that don't know this, this job, customer success manager, as, as Ray said, in 2013, when we launched, there was a few of them out there, you know, Salesforce and other companies, but maybe a few hundred in the whole world. Right. And it was this brand new idea. And that the basic concept was we're, we're all old enough to remember the old business models where you sell to a customer, and you go on and sell to the next customer, right? And if they if they call for support, you help them. But at the end of the day, once you've sold, a lot of your job was done. But we we know in this new business models with with SaaS with cloud, it, your job doesn't stop at the sale. It starts there, right? You got to make sure they've installed the product or service. They're getting value. They're adopting it. Vala talked about value. That's so important. And if you're not doing that you're not likely to keep them and you're definitely not gonna grow those customers, right? And so a lot of companies created this customer success management job. We launched in 2013 and we built software for customer success management. And the challenge was we had built software for a job that didn't really exist yet. So as an entrepreneur, I realized that was a, that was a fatal problem in the business plan. We better get people to hire customer success managers to reorganize their companies. And so we focused, as you said, Ray, and you were kind enough to come to one of our events, on events and, and books and content to help people understand why they needed to change their business model, why they needed to create a new role, change the way they think about their company from just selling a customer and moving on to the next one to selling a customer and making sure you're going to make them a customer for life. And that's what customer success management is all about. You know, when I, when I think of speed, I think about designing for movement. Uh, I think of a elite four by 100 relay and the first leg is usually one to one and a half seconds slower than the second, third and fourth, because the first relay, you start from a static position where a second, third and fourth, the runner is already in motion before the baton's handed. Yeah. So I think about momentum. I think about design for movement and I'm thinking about where are you seeing companies that are able to pivot fast to the pandemic? in terms of being designed for motion and speed, but also designed for customer centricity, where they're making decisions based on an outside-in approach to ensure relevance and speed when it comes to adding value to their stakeholders, customers. I'm so, I'm so glad you said that, Val, because you know, if, you're, if you're creating a customer success team internally, you know, the beginning might be very tactical. I'm trying to make sure my customers install the software, use it, adopt it, and stay with me, right? Prevent churn. And the next level might be I'm trying to sell them more stuff and I'm trying to make them more value. But the highest level is I'm trying to learn from them so I can iterate quickly like that sprinter that you talked about so that I can move really fast. And what I've seen is the companies that are really close to their customers in the pandemic have been able to evolve very quickly with their customers. I'll use an example just that might relate to people. One of our customers is called Bizabo. They make software for in-person events. Obviously, that's heavily <laughs> affected by COVID-19, but they have an amazing culture, product team, customer success team, and they very quickly pivoted and literally in a matter of a few weeks, built online event software and shifted to be able to support virtual events, right? And that's just one of 
thousands of stories out there. But I would say that these companies wouldn't have been able to do it if they weren't very close to their customers. And also if they didn't have the permission from their customers by being so close to them that their customers wanted them to go do new things, right? And we can all think of companies that haven't been close to us where they never adapted and they never evolved it. They didn't see the signs and then all of a sudden they were a dinosaur, right? And I think that's the difference. Yeah. You know, it's a great point. You guys do a good job with signal intelligence, trying to understand the factors that may cause someone not to renew, right? And getting that customer success in peace, whether it's a churn, whether people don't actually use the product, they don't adopt it, you know, usage is going down, all that stuff actually feeds back into the system. And that, that's pretty powerful. What did you see during the last 90 days of how yeah. best practices that, you know, companies were trying to make sure that their customers were okay, to make sure that they were there for them without seeming really pushy or seeming really bizarre or awkward, right? Because you've probably seen a lot of best cases. Oh my gosh, Ray, I'm sure you've gotten, and Vala and everyone watching has gotten a few emails about, given COVID-19, we'd love to talk to you about X, Y, and Z, right? A lot of uh, cold emails have been sent out. And that was such a good point. In the we, Things have evolved so fast, just like they have for all of us as individuals. You know, you think about what we were thinking about in March and April and now. And for companies, what we saw is in the beginning of the pandemic, there were a couple critical things people had to do, right? One was to actually figure out the empathetic way to communicate with customers, right? In a way, get the tone right, not seem like you're pan you're taking advantage of the situation, but also genuinely trying to help. And a lot of people spend time carefully writing those emails. But then they also wanted to figure one core thing out, which is how are our customers doing, right? And we helped our customers roll out these playbooks, kind of COVID-19 playbooks of assessing three categories of customers, the customers that are affected in a really negative way, you know, that are tied to the restaurant industry or travel or hospitality, the customers on the other extreme that are doing amazingly well, you know, we can think of Zoom or other technology like that. And then companies in between, a lot of companies are in between a mix of both, right? And so our customers had to kind of triage their customers and then figure out, okay, for the ones that are not doing well, are we going to give them payment relief? Are we going to let them pause their contract? The ones that are doing great, maybe they can grow with us. They can actually expand. That was like the first phase of what we saw was people just trying to assess where things are at. And as I said, things evolve fast. So now we're, we're we've in many more phases since then. One of the things we've seen now people are very focused on is, okay, we're, things are ticking up a little bit, but we all know they can tick down again and things are a little, depending on where you are, it's pretty dynamic, right, in the world. But uh, what the what the couple things that are very clear. One is I've got to go touch all my customers, not just the big ones, but all of them. So a lot of people are investing in digital engagement, automation, things like that. Number two, I, I got to make sure my customers are seeing the value for what they purchase. Val, you talked about it early on. It's not just about them using my product or service. Are they seeing the value? Because however much that technology seems cool, the CFO and the CEO only are renewing things and keeping things that drive real value. So people are investing a lot in, can I show the value, the ROI of what we're doing? And then finally, number three, the biggest challenge people have right now isn't so much their customers going away, it's that they're cutting back, that people call that downsell in technical terms, right? Meaning they were spending $100,000, they wanna cut it back to $50,000. So what can I do to show the value so they preserve the spending with us? Because if all your clients reduce by 50%, then your revenue is down 50%, right? That's really hard. And so people are spending time on those three topics, kind of scaling through automation, showing value, and preserving the client spend as much as possible. That's great advice. That's great. I mean, yeah, I mean, with, with the economic crisis of, you know, 40 million filing for unemployment, your discretionary spend it may have just been relevance as a criteria for discretionary spend. Now it's safety and access. Exactly. You, have addition, you have additional constraints in terms of, and you're reducing spend. So it's 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 it's, it's tough environment to be in. So given the tough environment, given the fact that you've been a CEO of a successful company, you guys reported record earnings for last fiscal year, and you know you gained incredible logos and customers. Um, give advice to CEOs that are running companies of your size, what type of leadership style do they need to adopt? What's important in terms of growing a business when you're at the top and everyone's looking at you to educate and inspire and ignite positive action for the company and everyone that you touch? Yeah, it's interesting. And, and, I, and which CEO support group do you belong to, too? I want to know. <laughs> many, many. Ray, Ray I got to tell you, there's a strong network of CEO support groups, and there's a lot of interesting things that are said. And actually, that's a good segue because the thing that's fascinating is I think in this crisis, it's it's channeling a new kind of leadership 
for CEOs. The world needs a new kind of leadership. We, we refer to this as human first leadership. And the idea is that we don't just run businesses with bottom lines and just, just about the profits. That's important, but that's not sufficient, right? We run businesses that have human beings working for us and human beings in our cu- employees' families and our customers are human beings and, our, in, and our, our community around us are human beings. And CEOs are being asked to think about a lot more things than they did before. Like for example, the health of my employees, the safety of my employees, the justice in the community around us, right? Uh, the business state of our customers. You didn't actually have to think about a lot of those things before. And I remember going to CEO groups, you know, over the last few years, where I, I cared about a lot of this stuff for a long time. And I, by the way, I know I could do a lot better too. So I'm absolutely not perfect. But the um, I would bring up, you know, some of these topics. And I think a lot of CEOs conventionally would say, hey, that's not the job of a CEO. CEO is about the bottom line. And I think now what's changing is every CEO is realizing the bot, there's many bottom lines, you know, and, and companies like Salesforce and others do an amazing job of being inspirations around this. So frankly, I'm just learning from other folks, but I've learned a lot about maybe being a new kind of leader through this. And what that means fundamentally is being willing to have discussions about all these topics, embracing the complexity of all the stakeholders that you have, kind of the stakeholder capital is an idea that you're both familiar with. And then also being willing to kind of be vulnerable with your team, right? That's a big power we both know about. I'm sure both of you have heard, read about Brene Brown and vulnerability. And I think that this is the year of vulnerability from a leadership perspective. Great, great answer, great answer. Yeah, I know, I can see a lot of that. We're gonna see a lot of the shifts that are happening in there. Um, so let's talk about the new book and, and a little bit about human first leadership. I think you alluded to it. I think you've been hinting yeah. at it around the edges. Uh, we've been talking about dynamic leadership styles, being responsible and responsive, uh, but this human first leadership is important and why? Yeah, so I'll talk about both topics. So the new book, which is called Customer Success Economy, which, you know, thanks again, Val, for mentioning it. We're really appreciative of the feedback we've been getting on it. We just, for context, we wrote a book on customer success about five years ago, and it was kind of the first authoritative book on the topic. And this is now our third book. And the reason we wrote a new book is it's called Customer Success Economy because customer success is now showing up in so many different industries, from software to financial services, to healthcare, to manufacturing, like across the board. So we call it customer success economy because we, we think the future of the economy depends on businesses driving success for their customers. Um, we also call it customer success economy because it's not just one function anymore. It, we talk about the changes to the way you think about product development in sales, in marketing and professional services and support. And so that's kind of the, the orientation. If you're thinking about what are the best practices in setting up customer success, how much my customer success people should be paid? How should I measure them? What should be in the, the metrics to predict customer health like Ray talked about? That's what this book is all about. And then on human first leadership, which is kind of more of the passion of all of us as a company, we, we you know one of the things we think about and Ray and Val, you probably think about this too. At the end of the day, we are not curing cancer or flying a car to Mars like some entrepreneurs out there, right? So how do we make an impact on the world? And in our own business, we said, well, can we make an impact in the way we do our business, right? And can we actually think about the way we, and so we had this, came up with this concept of human first business. Can we try to run a company where we tr- think of all our stakeholders as human beings, right? And really that sounds like an obvious thing, but I think in business historically, that wasn't always the playbook. And so in our company, we have five core values that we're really passionate about. Golden rule, which is pretty self-explanatory. Success for all, which means driving success for all our stakeholders. Childlike joy, which means bring the kid new to work every day, which the two of you guys are, are totally like. <laughs> uh, Shoshin, which means beginner's mind, which I'm sure both of you heard that concept. And then stay thirsty, my friends, which is a bit of a ripoff of a TV. <laughs> but basically, we have these values that we're really passionate about. And, and many of you have seen companies where the values are on the wall and not in reality. And so we yeah. spend a lot of time thinking about our values. Now, we are not perfect. In fact, I can do a lot more every day to live our values. Our, our employees challenge me all the time on our values, which I love. Um, but that's this idea of a company that actually can be human and live up to live to va- values and aspire to that. That's what we're talking about. That's terrific. Hey, you know, it's a great follow up. Uh, you know, we got someone from Ravi T. Um, he's like, what would be your advice for emerging young technologists uh, going forward and contributing to an organization who's not so different from a C or just another employee and oh. to inspire someone on the field? Yeah, totally. I, I do think it's I mean, it's it's obviously easier for the leadership to make all these changes. I think one one thing that um, I found is very powerful is that you'd be surprised if how much if you go to your leadership and say, how can I help? How can I take on more? Mm. 
uh, there's yeah. just openness. And both of you guys in your careers have done that many, many times. And you've seen them, your employer oh, yeah. do that, right? And I think that actually um, some of you both, you know, probably Jason Lemkin is famous SaaS investor. Yeah, right? yeah, and yeah. And he he tweeted, tweeted about this exact topic. He's like, yeah, you know, go to your boss and see what can I take off your plate? I know bosses love when people take things off their plate and show initiative. And I think that's something I've always been surprised by. Not, not as many people do it as I think they could. But every now and then I meet an employee who does a one-on-one -on -one with me, asks for a one-on-one, -on -one, comes up with a presentation on what more we can be doing as a company. I'm like, go for it. That's amazing. You know? That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. But you know, the fact that they're uh, uh, not nervous and, 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 um, can have access to you directly CEO, that's a credit to you. Because uh, to be accessible, to have that beginner's mindset, to exercise humility and show vulnerability, as Brené Brown said, is how you establish trust. When I was an intern or single contributor in my career, I didn't have the gumption and courage to go all the way to the CEO and pitch him something. So that's why your company is consistently one of the best places to work, because people freely can communicate to the CEO and do that with, with courage. And, uh, and again, that, that's a credit to your leadership. I, I appreciate that. I think we have to work on it every day, though. So it never ends, for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> well, hey, Jason Lemkin was on our show, episode 54. It sounds like I got to get you, Tienzo, and yeah, Jason on the same show. Like disaster subscription economy. It's customer economy. It. Get something cool out of here. <laughs> and we'll, we'll bring Mike Nee in for fun, but he doesn't have anything <laughs> called in here. So, anyways, we got Nick Meta, CEO at Gainsight and author of The Customer Success Economy. Why every right aspect of your business model <laughs> needs a paradigm shift. So check out the book. It's a 20 question, 20 question form you got to fill out. But check out the book. First 500 people get it for free. Follow Twitter. Uh, follow Nick on Twitter at NRMeta. Awesome. Uh, and you can catch him there. So, hey, thanks for being on the show. I'll, I'll see Thank you around you, somewhere. Great to see you guys. Thanks, <laughs> everyone. Great talking to you. Thank you very much. What an extraordinary CEO. He's fun to be with. And this is a show about extraordinary CEOs. And so it's our honor to introduce our second guest, Sharon Vinderein is the founder of Parent Tested, Parent Approved, PTPA, which is a dedicated community of over 200,000, wow, 200,000 parents who subscribe to PTPA to learn about the latest and greatest products for their families. PTPA was uh, started when Sharon, who's an inventor of baby products, was looking for a way to promote one of her new products. So after submitting a new product to several uh, awards that had been promised to reach her consumer audience, she was disappointed to find that everyone who applied was an automatic winner. So she didn't receive any meaningful feedback or outreach. And this prompted the creation of the Parent Tested, Parent Approved Awards. PTPA is based on the foundation that people want the highest quality product for their families. So what better way to ensure that your child is getting the best product than by having uh, fellow parents test, test the product? As a leader in her field, Sharon has been acknowledged by the media and industry leaders as an innovator. <laughs> She's appeared over 200 shows. So we're trying to get to 200 shows after four years. Sharon's already done that. Uh, She's been on- <laughs> We can quit now. Yeah, yeah. She's been on ABC, on NBC, on Fox News, and just, just every major media outlet you can imagine. Sharon's uh, been able to talk about her company and the value that they're bringing to society. You can follow Sharon's work on Twitter at PTPA Sharon, S-H-A-R-O-N, and her company, very simple, at PTPA. Welcome, Sharon, to Disrupt TV. Thanks so much for having me. Although following Nick is going to be a little bit tough. <laughs> He's awesome. Not He's at awesome. all. You've got the preeminent award for you know products for kids. So usually that's, that's, that's not that's what stands out. It's the hair. It's usually the top. And, and, right. and you guys are comparing hair. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm out. I'm out. That's it. Think about it. <laughs> so, but hey, you know, I mean, this is one of the top awards. Companies get excited when they earn it, when they win it, right? The June awards comes out, the September awards come out. People are excited. They've won it for consecutive years. Yeah. But let's go back to the beginning. Like, how did PTPA start, right? What? I mean, why would anyone say I want to be subjected to this rigorous, you know, process of actually, you know, proving out my product? So. Right. So basically, I was a new mom and I was a mom of two under two and I was running out buying products for these kids. And I figure I'm going to spend anything and everything on these kids, regardless of what my husband thinks. <laughs> um, and I was buying them based on, you know, did it look fabulous in the packaging? Uh, was it well priced or was it really expensive? It was really expensive. Obviously, it was great. 
So I'd bring these products home. They would be either useless or poor quality, would end up returning them. And then I would call my friends and say, okay, you're at the same life stage as me. Tell me what products are going to be best. And inevitably, whatever they recommended was a product that I used for years and then ended up recommending to others. Hmm. So the whole notion of this was, wouldn't it be great if I could walk into a store and while I can't have you know 15 or 20 girlfriends with me each and every time, but if only there was a seal of approval that at a glance, I could tell that it was credible, there was mm. instant trust and it was worthy of my hard earned dollars. So that's a whole impetus behind starting the whole brand. That's amazing. So what happened when the brands realized they can't just pay to get the award? I mean, did you have to have a lot of difficult conversations and, yeah. and let folks know this is a legit, you know, uh, yes. uh, process. <laughs> yeah, because I, I would say most agencies are the ones who reach out to us and their first thing is, okay, how much do I need to pay to get the award? And the typical answer is, first of all, you are gonna pay to go through the process, uh, but there's no guarantee. And we actually give you a 70% refund of your fees if your product loses. And we give you all the market research from the consumers because my goal at the end of the day, wow. I'm still a mom. I want you making better products that inevitably will benefit you because I'll be buying more of them and I'll be recommending more of them. So there's no pay for play. People always say, oh, let me send you my products. You'll love them. Don't worry about it. I'm going to send them out to we select families in our community of 200,000 um, and they get those products and they complete surveys about their experience with the product. And that is the only way legitimately that a product can earn our seal of approval. That's right. Ray, this so is a perfect no... example of values create value. Exactly. Yes. Great example. Yeah. But there's no like there's no like, you know, like, you know, testing farm somewhere located in some just you know, remote <laughs> part of the world that you know does all your product testing and nobody knows about. No, that would be so much easier. <laughs> we actually, so to be honest, the way we, we ended up uh, making this a bit of a smoother process because we had so many people applying to test. We actually ended up having to build, we're now in our fifth iteration of a backend software system that allows us to take in the product, take in who the target demographic is, and then automatically match it up with members of our community who are the ideal tester. So if it's a baby product and it's a cloth diaper, I wanna find a mom who likes cloth diapers. Cause if I send it to a Pampers user, she'll go, Mm. I, I'm very organic, I want cloth, you know, it has to be the right fit. Same thing if it's a food, if you have allergies, I want to make sure that the right people are testing the right products, which is why we've invested so much money in building this software. So you get like a match.com for product testing, matching products. Oh, right I parents. like that. Can I use that? <laughs> yeah, take it. I, I don't know who the right. match.com guy. No, he's going to come back after me. No. Um, but yeah, no, but, but when you think about this, right, like what's the process, right? Let's say I got something really cool. I want it running through PTPA. Like what do I have to do to get started? Right. So basically they come to us and you actually can't go to our website and just apply. You need to have a conversation with us first because we're picky about the products that we will bring on board. Mm. So we set up a call and then we determine if the product's going to be a fit for our audience. Uh, if so, the company pays a fee to undertake the testing. That fee includes a one-year license agreement for that seal of approval and a whole slew of marketing, uh, digital marketing that we include. Um, then those products are drop shipped to the target demographic in our audience that we hand select. Those families get to keep the product and they complete a detailed evaluation on their experience, a testimonial, they share photos of their experience. And then our team looks at all of that and determines from a quantitative and qualitative point of view, if the product earned the seal. If it did, fantastic. We are going to town on that product and we are going to announce the heck out of it through TV, digital, whatever it is. If they did not win, like I said, we give them 70% of their fees back. We do not make an announcement that they didn't win, but we also give them the opportunity to resubmit that product at a later date if they've taken any of the advice from the actual consumers. So that's a really important part of it for us. That's terrific. That's terrific. By the way, uh, Nick was great, but Sharon, you're crushing it. Just, just to let you know. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I hope you're not in the room still. <laughs> So, so as a successful CEO, leading and growing a revered brand, can you talk about what are some of the contributing factors to your success as an entrepreneur? Give advice to other CEOs. You know, we have a lot of CEOs that watch the show, fortunate guests that, that we've had on, in the past, and give some advice in terms of how do you, how do you, uh, I mean, and for you, it seems like it was, 
a purpose-driven mission. You know, you're doing something to add value to society. But but I'd love to learn in terms of contributing factors to help you become a successful entrepreneur. Sure. So, um, so one interesting element of our business, I was brought up on the notion that I had to leave the world a better place than I found it and have a positive impact. So the way I've built the company is every product that is sent out to consumers is sent out to them completely for free. So to date, we have given away a million dollars of product to families across North America. Wow. So now the reason I say that is that I am so passionate, not only about impacting the way consumers make purchasing decisions, but about impacting the quality of lives of the families that we work with. So that makes me probably uh, the most stubborn CEO. Um, <laughs> the, I have a relentless pursuit. If I'm after something, don't bother wasting your time trying to talk me out of it. <laughs> I will push through. So, you know, I don't know that that's a benefit or a disadvantage, um, but I, I'm so passionate about what I do that I kind of, I, I, I will not be easily dissuaded. So, you know, I, I tell people that I mentor, at the end of the day, being an entrepreneur is all about, you know, waking up in the morning, patting yourself on the back because other people aren't gonna do it for you, giving yourself whatever pep talk you need in the mirror to get through the day and realizing that you got to love what you do in order to ride that roller coaster, which is usually going down, you know, on the odd time it's going up and that's awesome. But the majority of the time you are riding that roller coaster down. So be passionate about whatever business you get into. Don't imagine you're getting into business and you're, you're going to be that unicorn because they're unicorns for a reason. That's awesome advice. Speaking about unicorns, I mean, there's a very, very well entrenched and 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 pretty pretty rich startup community uh, where you are in Toronto. And, yes. Uh, talk a little bit about it. I mean, like, what's happening? What's hot? Are there any kind of trends? Certain things emerging versus others? You know, because you're in a very special space and a very special place. So, what's unique about Toronto is it, there really is. They have decided to establish an organization that is kind of. I wish they were there when I was starting this business. Yeah. Like there is access <laughs> to the most amazing mentorship, uh, funding. There are so many angel investors who are open to hearing about new businesses. Uh, you know, the only disadvantage I would say is that there's such a strong focus on technology. Sorry, guys. Um, that there's so many other businesses that are we have you on the show yeah (laughs) there's so many other great businesses that kind of you know get overlooked because they don't have a SaaS model and a SaaS model is what everybody wants to have these days so it's a great time to be in business it's a great time to be looking for money I mean not exactly this moment in time but uh, I think we're in a really unique entrepreneurs are in a really special place in time where they have access to resources that, you know, if if any of us had when we were young, um, <laughs> not you young, but I'm referring to myself, I think we would have been superpowers by now. We really could have yeah. been superpowers by now. No, it's true. It's true. Uh, in fact, last year, my company committed to invest $2 billion in, uh, uh, in Canada. And, and uh, then a few months later, we announced a $130 million fund for SaaS startups. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, but yeah. but the, 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 the technology landscape in Canada, especially Toronto, for such new emerging technologies like artificial intelligence, you have like Dr. Jeffrey Hinton, who's considered the godfather of deep learning at University of Toronto and Vector Institute. There's so much brain power in Canada in yeah. terms of technology. And uh, so speaking of brain power, like, how did you get on 200 plus shows? Like we need advice, Ray and I. Like, uh, obviously you're so, an amazing storyteller. But, so but- <laughs> remember how I said I will push through no matter what? So I, I used to be that person who, if I had to stand up and speak in front of people, I would be sick for two days prior. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I sold brands on the fact that they were going to be buying into this seal that no one had ever heard of, but I was going to make famous. And now I had to live up to that. So uh, I actually harassed every producer in the Toronto area for a solid six months until one producer of a national morning show finally emailed me back and said, listen, 
I will give you a segment. It's going to be at the worst possible time of the morning, but I will give it to you if you swear you will never email me again. And I will, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Um, and by the way, by the way, for the record, we came to you. So just for the record. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, so, no, we have to thank Alan Leposky. Uh, who, yes, who we do. We well. think of Alan so, Kudos. Yes. He's the best. Um, so this producer liked me enough that she ended up having me as a regular contributor and it grew from there. And, you know, getting onto shows like I am going to toot my own horn here because why not? Steve Harvey, Rachel Ray, like once you get on a few of those shows, I feel like it's 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 I've got street cred, as my kids would call it. Now, so now you know, MSNBC and all those other shows, I, I really feel like I'm so blessed and fortunate and while I don't believe in luck in these cases, I feel like I was lucky. I got the opportunity. I obviously called the producers at the right time or harassed them enough. So, so, so here's, again, just a summary of your advice to other entrepreneurs, especially in leadership roles. You know, optimism, persistence, grit, hard work. I mean, you, there's no substitute for all of that. You can be as talented as, as, you know, as in the top 1%, but without, you know, doing the reps and, and pushing forward, you're not going to have these doors open for you. So that's great. That's a great, yeah, great yeah. message for, for our And that viewers. was a perfect summary of it. You know, laziness is just cannot be anywhere in your DNA. Otherwise, I feel like you're guaranteed to fail. And I like the fact that you have that mindset that the world doesn't owe you anything. You have to earn it. You know, so a sense of entitlement for entrepreneurs, in my humble opinion, could really be something that will stunt your growth. So you got to go for it. you got to work for it. So I appreciate yeah. the advice. For sure. Yeah. Now, look, you started with kids and baby products. Are you taking this to other things like experiences and other areas that go beyond that? Yes. So uh, we were actually working on that, you know, right as COVID hit. But, you know, over the years, I've been, you know, as I get older, as my kids get older, I kind of, you know, I want to discover new products. So I didn't even realize it, but sorry, over which way? Camera. <laughs> uh, I have Dyson. a Dyson fan back there uh, because Dyson is one of our amazing clients. Um, you know, anything from, we've even tested cars. Parents don't get to keep those, but they got experiences. <laughs> they got to drive the cars in order to determine if they were award winners. We launched family tested, family approved, um, so we could broaden our scope. Um, we did a soft launch. So my background is tech. I uh, So I'm obsessed with technology. So I started a geek tested, geek approved. But our team is still too small, so we haven't quite sold that one yet. Uh, but that's really uh, where my heart is. So hopefully we will be going in that direction. But we run the gamut Thanks. from food to toys to housewares to cars, anything, you name it. Oh, and we did have a hotel. Hyatt Resorts actually earned our seal of approval for their resorts. Wow, I love Hyatt yeah. Hotel. Yeah, I, I spent time in uh, Maui and Kauai at Hyatt Resort, and it's awesome. Uh, really I awesome. feel I'm like they should have sent me to that location. <laughs> yeah. I was in you know, I'm, I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for grandparent tested, kid approved. <laughs> so, I don't know that they'll see eye to eye on all of that. So, so Sharon, are companies coming to you for new products or rebranding opportunities? As a former CMO, I, I would feel if I was in retail. Uh, I would probably want your advice in terms of rebranding opportunities to showcase not just quality, safety, relevance. Uh, but so, so you know, where, where what's the focus area when when companies engage with your with PTPA? I love that question because no one has ever asked me that, and that is really that we have almost two distinct businesses. One is, hey, I'm launching a new brand. I'd like to be able to launch it as award-winning. Can we get this tested with you before we do our product packaging so we know our status? The other one is, hey, I've had this brand sitting on the shelf forever. It's not moving. The competitors are repackaging. I need something. I need a new story to tell. I need new packaging. And that is the perfect moment at which they want to consider going after these awards. Because at the end of the day, so. You used to be able to walk into a store and you'd have an option, you'd have 10 products. And it was mm. great if there was a seal of approval on one because it was completely obvious which one to buy. But mm. now with a digital shelf, you have tens of millions of products. So how are you going to stand out? So that seal of approval, whether it's revamping your product, a new announcement or a completely new line, it makes a difference. In fact, we did independent research. 84% of consumers said that they would purchase the product with the seal of approval over a product that would be next to it for a comparable price. Wow. 
So it, it has makes to sense. Be. It makes sense. If I knew you had a 200,000 community of parents that rigorously tested a product to ensure, you know, a great experience for the children. I mean, why not? I mean, to me, that's yeah. a huge differentiator. It makes sense. It makes sense. Can you, can you just act as my salesperson now? And <laughs> tell all the big companies that, please. We'll do you our know, best. You can we'll run this show best. too, everybody. Have them see it. So. <laughs> right, but hey, done. Sharon, thank you so much for being on the show. We're here with Sharon Vinderline, experienced founder and CEO of Parent Tested, Parent Approved. You can follow her on Twitter at PTPA Sharon and her company at PTPA. Definitely check it out. And of course, it's now Disrupt TV Show approved. Thanks. <laughs> this was awesome. Thank you. You're so, terrific. Thanks a lot. Happy Friday. Thank Happy you. Happy Friday. Thanks. Look at this. Two incredible CEOs. And we're going to end with the CEO founder. What an amazing show, Ray. This is why Friday is our best uh, and most it's favorite CEO time of the day. Friday. <laughs> CEO Friday. Our final Do we need guest. to give her an introduction? I don't no. think she needs an introduction. But, you know, we should give her an introduction. Yeah, yeah. Folks that watch the show know Dr. Presser, but we're going to give it an introduction just in case there are new folks watching. Uh, this is our cleanup hitter spot where we expect folks to come in and hit a grand slam. <laughs> and for our, for our final spot, we have Dr. Janice Presser. Dr. Presser is the founder of TeamingScience.com. Dr. Presser spent her formative years researching how people team together, find answers in system theory and physics. Having written her first line of code in high school, Dr. Presser was positioned to architect a system to measure how people work together and develop the underlying theory and practice of teaming science. Dr. Presser continues to write. She's a keynote speaker. She consults on all aspects of human interaction, motivation, and perception. Dr. Presser's latest book is Inspiring Parenthood. What a great segue after talking to Sharon. Oh, please show the book again. Please show Fantastic, fantastic. And you can follow Dr. Presser and her work on Twitter at Dr. Janice, D-R-J-A-N-I-C-E. Welcome back to Disrupt TV, Dr. Janice. That's my fun fact. I think this is my fourth one. Yeah, no, I, I think so, I think so. so you're, you're an elite company. We don't normally have folks that have been on the show uh, four times or more, so welcome back. Right. So if, yeah. if we want to produce, uh, we want to promote good math, right? Numeracy, like literacy, then um, I've been on 2% of all of these amazing shows. So that's really exciting. I'm, I'm that's, nice about that. It's, it's our honor and privilege. It's our honor and privilege. Right. We're so excited to have you uh, to come talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, right. We're going to hit each one of these themes, I think. <laughs> Some are on the way. You know. but, but let's talk about teaming science. <laughs> let's talk about teaming science a little bit. Um, but, but really in the context of relationships, like, you know, we're, we're talking about life in post-COVID environment, right? This is, you know... Uh, it's straining all types of relationships. I mean, even if you worked from home before, now everyone is working from home, and that's kind of you know sometimes annoying, sometimes really nice, right? Right. But people feel on edge. They're like strained. I, I don't know what it is, right? So what's going on? So enormous uncertainty, like we have never known, mm. and we're not post COVID. We're post the very beginning of it. We're we're kind of deep into it. We're in COVID. Yeah, yeah. We're we're deep in the middle of it. And people, even people who, like all entrepreneurs, uh, do fine with uncertainty and ambiguity, now we're deep in the middle of this has gone on too long. It's four months that we've been locked down. It, that's four months without a rock concert? Us? No way. No way. All the ones that were, we were headed for one on the 13th of March when it was locked down. And that one hasn't been rescheduled and we don't know what will ever uh, happen again. So all the things, the ways that we've socialized and we've interacted have suddenly been turned upside down. Mm -hmm. So some of us immediately jumped into, how am I gonna run things now? Both on the family side and on the business side. So if you are Salesforce and you, you, know, you have a huge number of people who are very, very comfortable being online. That's one thing. But if you're running the small grocery store, the gourmet grocery store uh, down the block that has 15 employees and most of them are related to you, and now everything is shut down, 
there is enormous panic. And when people get under stress, they generally will take it out on the person who's the easiest to take it out on. Right. 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 Means if you're in, no matter how strong your primary relationship is, one of you is likely to be feeling the stress in a less productive way than the other one. And so if you want to maintain the relationship that you've had, then you need to figure out a few things about not focusing just on yourself. I mean, you know enough to do stress relief things for yourself, but to think about this person who I adore, how are they experiencing it? If they are incredibly anxious on a good day, they're off the scale anxious on a tough day. So sure. your question is, how am I going to arrange everything in the, the, the context of our lives, our shared life, yeah. so that they are going to feel less stressed out and more comfortable? And yeah. sometimes that's something that we're very practiced with. If we've been good at relationships all our lives, yeah. um, we've had or it's a very long-standing relationship, that's the more that you understand about each other. And then you actually might enjoy it, especially if you're, you know, past the age where you're going to an office every day. Right. You know, you've got the middle of the day and no kids. That's fine. If you have kids, by the way, and you're both at home, just teach them. Mommy and daddy need to take nap. It's nap time. You go on your mat like in school and uh, we just mm -hmm. go hide away. So you have to think about what is it that motivates us as individuals, as a couple, and as a family? You know, what is our purpose? Why are we here? And why does it work? Sad to say, if you didn't think that through before, mm. this is often the time when things start to unravel and everybody says, what am I doing with you? Sure. You know, why Why are we here? Uh, so that segues or sort of backward segues into, let's see, it was Constellation Connected Enterprise 2018, right? Two years, uh, coming on two years ago. And you can find the video on wherever, on constellationr.com uh, of when I spoke about motivation. Mm -hmm. So if you spend some time focusing away from your own feelings of whatever they are, you mm -hmm. know, very often, this will never end. I, you know, I just want to cut loose and do whatever. If instead what you're thinking about is, you know, why are we, you know, why, how did I get here? What motivated mm -hmm. me to get here? What's truly important? Or have I just been kind of doing what somebody else told me to do? Not mm -hmm. something that I feel deeply. And, and for all of us, I'm sure present company, we all had at least one miserable job, right? Where we were a terrible match, right? And you know, we probably blamed on a bad day. We blamed it on our boss, <laughs> and they probably deserved it because they they hired us, you know, for whatever reason. Do not hire people because they went to your Ivy League alma mater. <laughs> Few people running around who'll regret ever hiring me. Sure, I can sure. say that now. <laughs> but you know. Get you know, I mean, you're right. I mean, we, we've got a lot of fear, uncertainty, doubt that people yes. are trying to go through. So, and, and, and in the context of this, uh, okay, so we are all struggling in some way. Some are struggling more than others, obviously, given the pandemic. Some have lost their lives. So clearly, uh, the spectrum of struggle and anxiety and what we're going through varies greatly. And fortunately for all of us, we're safe and healthy. So we have a lot to be grateful for. But we had a 40-year Silicon Valley VC who was on our show uh, a few months ago. And he was one of the original leaders at Intel. And he said, you know, I'm finding it difficult assessing companies to invest in as a VC because myself and the rest of us are human beings. We've grown up uh, to establish trust using our senses. We were physically present in a room with someone. Uh, so the taste, the smell, we could read the room. There was contextual intelligence that guided our trustworthiness assessment and the team of team science assessment and now we're in a pure digital construct so people are hiring talent purely through digital they're not meeting them face to face and in person they're looking to invest in companies with purely digital they're not in a room with them they're not breaking bread with them they're not having those casual conversations you have at conferences like constellation connect enterprise so 
how do you assess the science of teaming in a world for the past four months where you're not physically present with that person and therefore you can't use your senses that you normally relied on to read the room, read the person and determine whether there's a right match or a right fit. What advice do you have for people that are now staring at a screen while stressed, while going through angst, trying to figure out that's the person I want to add to my team? Well, first say thank you that I don't have to rely on my senses because your senses have probably fooled you. That's why there's so much homogeneity in so many companies. That's because you choose people who smell good to you, feel good to you, taste good to you, you get the vibe. That's great for dating. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. There's all kinds of wonderful scientific research that says you will speed up your selection of an intimate partner by being in close proximity. That's because the things that awaken what we're already hardwired to want are much easier to assess when they're right there. You know, babies can smell their mothers. They learn that instantly, mm -hmm. really moments after birth. They'll recognize something their mother had on her rather than another mother. Uh, so that's, that's pretty well assessed. But let's look at what hasn't happened. So what, what we know that we're dealing with a massive, uh, let's call it uh, diversity, hashtag diversity, hashtag inclusion, hashtag equity, and I usually add hashtag reparations, but I'll make that optional if that bothers anyone. We've blown it on that. Let's face it, we've blown it. So a long time ago, I admitted to myself, I'm terrible at interviewing. This makes no sense. I'm good at mate selection, or I have a pretty good track record on that, um, objectively. Uh, you know, hey. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no that's awesome. <laughs> It's true. it's true. You may be the first guest out of 599 interviews that admitted to that. That's awesome. You know, that is, and it's not because I was a therapist or you know, a nurse or any of that other stuff, I mean, or went to Columbia or any of those other, or, you know, like Abbey Road, but that's just, that's just a fact. So if you have been relying on that, I guarantee you, you have a very homogeneous crew of people. So you, you know that many, many years ago, I developed a technology to measure how people team together, which I then proceeded from that point to never again interview another person. Mm. And I didn't because I knew I was not going to be effective at it. And that's only because I was willing to admit it to myself. And it's different if I was your therapist and I was going to get, you know, by the time I had four or five hours with you, focused only on you. I could make it a huge amount of judgment, but that wouldn't even tell me if I put you in a job, how would you end up with other people? So teaming science, you know, and I'm happy to, to help people with that. I've, that. That technology is now in somebody else's hands, as you may know, it's, so it's still awesome and great. And I've moved on to looking at how can companies quickly look at their entire culture and decide where they have balance and where they don't. Because if these same VCs looking at this as a company and looking at it had the sense of our culture is highly slanted in this direction, but one of our functions requires people with this core, deep uh, motivation. That, I mean, that's inborn in you what, you, what your preference is. Well, that makes things easier. So I'm where, where I now am in the whole teaming science world is I focused in on motivation because it's much easier to look at and it's much easier to pop into anything that analyzes data. Mm -hmm. So I'm now looking for a company like, could be Salesforce, but that's not your main, your main thing, but companies that are sizable and collect data on people. Uh, because, you know, this is all about, if you were gonna talk about the new customer focus, mm. you know, which everybody said we focused on customers, but now it means that long-time relationship that mm. builds, that actually requires a much different kind of sales teams. And because, you know, sales is the lifeblood of everything. I've been studying sales for, uh, you might be able to find old blogs on Constellation, I think where I wrote about uh, sales. 
uh, because that's where that is. So sure. uh, I'm not hanging it up. I'm never retired. <laughs> um, I am uh, working on another book, but uh, the uh, my my main objective at this point in life is to find someone who understands that motivation is important, sure, and that you can use it to at the same time, sure, make those difficult decisions. Absolutely. On what do I want to do, and also get into a just a touch of social justice, just a little, please. Sure. <laughs> You we, know, had, uh, we had John Hagel on the show this week, and he did talk I, about establishing trust and relationship. And he started with a pyramid that had humility at the base, but ended with excitement. Or do you have joy? Or do you have a sense of pride for what you do? Do you look at challenges as opportunities to do better? So you know, it validates the importance of having excitement and energy and passion. And the last comment I want to make is that when Ray wanted to select a co-host for Disrupt TV, he did choose me because I smell great. He smells amazing, uh, and digitally smells amazing too. I don't know how it works, uh, but this new smelling science is, is so good. And, and this chart is a lucky one. I know that. And I have never missed a constellation connected enterprise. I'm usually a loud one with, you know, I may not be that tall, but I make up written volume. And I always love to sit at the same table with Vala. And annoying them. <laughs> why don't you just? Why don't you tweet that, Val? <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. That means a lot coming from Dr. Janice. Get, get, get those, go those kind of content uh, things. But you know, I know that Val is happy in what he does. He's like silly happy, <laughs> ecstatic happy, and it shows in his tweets. And that's really why I know that Mrs. Afshar is a very <laughs> as well as any Afshar. I, def I definitely married up, just for the record, in case she's watching, or I definitely married up. So there's no dispute there. Anybody who's ever met Stacy knows that. So anyway. All but good men marry up. That's it. And it's to, yeah. it's to give the women an opportunity to raise them up even higher, because that really is the secret of your most important relationship, whether it's a intimate relationship in at home, or it's one where you're managing someone. And that is that you, you know, you, you know, we always say hire smarter people. Yeah, hire them and then raise them up and make them even more smart. Absolutely. Make sure they know it. And when we do that in a personal relationship, then we can withstand those terrible times when it feels like the world is falling apart. And if, you know, just put on the uh, the cable station, a new station of your choice, and the world will be falling apart at one time or another. And you will be able to help them get themselves back together. And as they rise up, the gratitude that they feel, you know, whether they know the word or not, will come back on you so and encourage you to do it again, and they'll do it for you. And that's a very nice spiraling up. Sage advice, absolutely true, absolutely true. Hey, you know, one last thing, which is the rock and roll piece, which we promised everybody, yes. which is really talking about, look, we're in a digital world, we're in a broadcast world. John Hagel told us on Tuesday, you know, we revisited the world of infomediaries. We have to look good and sound good. Let's talk a little bit about that, and I'll let you close out that way. Looking good and sounding good. You know what, when you're feeling good, and you are wanting to put caring things out into the world, you cannot help but look good because you will have to smile, not just with your mouth, but with your eyes and with your soul. And that is what people resonate with. They will feel it even digitally. It will be slower. So for those of you, and this is you know, my, my uh, mother kind of thing, if you are a young person, and you do not have a partner, and this, you know, this male, female, or as yet to decide, or non-binary, or don't care, doesn't matter, it's the same thing. You are gonna miss that sped up process when you're sitting next to somebody at a party. That's okay, don't give up. Just meet people online, be safe, put that mask on if you go out. I am a mother, put that mask on if you go out. And, but don't give up on relating to people. It will be slower. Give it a chance, you know, and, and it will happen. 
and you will work digitally it. smell good uh, that's what we're gonna remember <laughs> so, <laughs> awesome. dr janice thank you so much for being on the show and, and for being a friend of uh you know disrupt tv and constellation so thank you Cheers. All right, we are here with Dr. Janice, teamingscience.com and author. And more importantly, follow her at Dr. Janice. Check out her new book, Inspiring Parenthood. It's the third edition. A lot of useful tips for folks just getting started and for those thinking about parenthood. So, all right, thanks a lot. Happy Thank Friday. Thank you, Dr. Janice. Thank you very much. You were terrific. Now you know why she's been on the show uh, numerous times. And uh, uh, thank you so much for watching the show. Next week's show, incredible show, episode 199. We're one away from 200. And we have a star lineup. Uh, we start with Trafik Delfret, who's the president of IDC, one of the brightest, uh, greatest storytellers in tech and really forward, looking forward to speaking to Crawford. Francis Frey, a Harvard professor, author of Unleash, the Unapologetic Leader's Guide to Empowering Everyone Around You. And we have Heather Clancy, one of our absolute favorite uh, returning guests, uh, editorial director of uh, Green Bay's group and co-author of Niche Down. She's amazing. Uh, so it's a really big show next week with big brains who are also charming and likable. So we hope that you can join us uh, next week for episode 199. And we will cross our 600 uh, interviews next week. So it's a milestone for us. 600 interviews in four years, Ray. We've been pretty busy. <laughs> you know, closing, closing remarks, Ray. You know, look, it's, uh, it's the midst of the summer. Um, you know, stay vigilant, stay safe. Right. Uh, we're going to see a lot of things still happen throughout the summer. It's going to be busy, you know, but definitely please stay safe. Uh, please be safe with other folks and, and be considerate. So I, I think that's very important. Uh, and, and more importantly, you know, if you think of great people, great guests, uh, you think that they should share. We'd love to do that on our platform. You know, any innovators, any CEOs, any authors, people that are doing something, you know, that's a little bit different that not normally you would not hear about, um, but really inspiring in the world of enterprise tech. Let us know. And, and we'd love to have them on the show. So thanks a lot, everybody. Happy Friday.